All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am giving you my rapid reaction to the Falcons 19 to 10 loss in their preseason finale against the Cleveland Browns. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter, at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons will include my takeaways from this 19-10 preseason finale loss to the Cleveland Browns. We'll give you that game summary. We'll be grading out the various phases of the team, giving out grades for the passing game, the running game, defense, and special teams. And then we'll get into sort of the final roster battles, focusing quite a bit on that battle for the backup quarterback position between Josh Rosen and Felipe Franks and who created that separation to sort of have their arrow pointing up and whose arrow is pointing down in that regard. And we'll get into all of that on today's episode. But before we get into all of that, guys, I want to let you guys know that the locked on NFL podcast is previewing every team in every division with the help of Odyssey's lineup of NFL experts beginning today, running through September 8th. They are the preview episodes on the feed that you can listen to now. Follow the Locked On NFL today on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, guys, um, we'll jump into our game summary for those of you that missed it or those of you that, like me, fell asleep in the fourth quarter. (laughs) No, I didn't fall asleep in the fourth quarter, but I definitely was checked out of the game. I was easily distracted by a whole lot of other stuff, but we'll give you the game summary, at least of the first three and a half quarters of the game uh, before I, things got checked out to to give you a recap of of what happened. And, you know, despite early reports in the week saying that the Browns were unlikely to play their starters, they did play a select few, including quarterback Baker Mayfield and four out of their five starters on the offensive line. And that starting Browns offense went toe to toe with the majority of the Falcons defensive starters on the opening drive of the game with the Browns moving the ball 66 yards on eight plays, get down inside the Falcons 10 yard line. Thanks in large part to a 28 yard defensive pass and Fearance penalty on Falcons corner A.J. Terrell, followed shortly thereafter by a 35-yard gain by former Falcon and current Browns tight end Austin Hooper when two Falcon defenders collided and it left him to run for a huge gain after the catch. But then on that same drive on the fourth and six from the Falcons nine yard line, Baker Mayfield failed to connect once more with Hooper. Thanks to a tight coverage from Falcons linebacker, Michael Walker leading to a turnover on downs. The Falcons did manage to start a few key starters on offense, but that did not include Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley or Jake Matthews and those others, especially skilled players like Mike Davis and Kyle Pitts among others got a quick hook after one or two plays, but one play was all Kyle Pitts really needed to make a good first impression 
catching the first play from scrimmage on a quick rollout by Felipe Franks, turning that upfield into a 27 yard gain. Thereafter, the Falcons opening drive stalled out and the Falcons wound up punting it back to the Browns. Mayfield once again took the field, hitting Dearness Johnson on a screen to start things with a 23 yard gain. Several plays later, he hit Kadero Hodge on a 20 yard grab to get deep into Falcons territory and then found Hodge on the very next play on a 22 yard touchdown pass where he beat Falcons backup corner, Chris Williamson to put the Browns up seven and nothing with less than five minutes remaining in the first quarter. Franks then found a little bit more of a rhythm on the ensuing drive, hitting wide receiver, Chris Rowland for a 21 yard gain on a sliding grab on a fourth and one, putting the ball in Brown's territory. He then missed a deep shot for a score to Alameda Zacchaeus at the end of the first quarter. He then scrambled for a first down on a third and two to keep that drive alive, but then took a sack on the subsequent third down in the red zone, leading to a 41 yard field goal from kicker young way getting the Falcons on the scoreboard down seven to three. Case Keenum entered the game for the Browns at quarterback and drove them downfield before he too, like Mayfield, had his drive stall out on fourth down, this time at the Falcons' three-yard line. Franks was sacked on the ensuing Falcons' possession to end that series. Keenum drove the Browns into the red zone on the ensuing nine-play drive for the Browns, but the Falcons' defense held strong, and the Browns settled for a 32-yard field goal from kicker Chase McLaughlin. Franks went three and out, and the Browns once again got the ball back down with two minutes left in the half, and Keenum was able to get them into Falcons' territory to attempt a long field goal from McLaughlin, who missed a 57-yarder that doinked off the crossbar, keeping the Browns' lead to 10-3 going into the halftime. Newly added Falcons quarterback Josh Rosen came in to start the second half. But after a couple of decent completions to start things off, fumbled in exchange from the Falcons center and the Browns recovered in Falcons territory. Browns quarterback Kyle Laletta, also a former Falcon, led the Browns offense down to the Falcons 10 yard line, but couldn't punch it in. And McLaughlin hit a 28 yard field goal to extend the Browns lead 13 to three. Rosen connected on two big throws for a combined 51 yards to Jawan Green on the ensuing drive, getting the ball deep into Browns territory. But he was sacked while the Falcons were on the Browns doorstep at the one yard line and then missed his next three throws, including a failed fourth down conversion on a throwaway to Antonio Nunn with pressure in his face, leading to no points for the Falcons. As the third quarter came to a close, the Browns were marching down the field into the red zone. Letta was hit as he was throwing by Falcons defensive tackle Chris Slayton, leading to a pass going directly into the hands of Falcons linebacker Kobe Jones. Jones then scampered 41 yards downfield before Felipe Franks' brother, Browns tight end Jordan Franks, stripped him from behind, and the Browns wound up recovering, and they wound up taking back over at their own 36-yard line. Just as the fourth quarter began, Letta hit another pass that was picked off thanks to Jones getting a little bit of redemption hitting the quarterback on that play that hit led to an overthrow that Falcon safety Dwayne Johnson then snagged Johnson then too fumbled uh, but fortunately his teammate and fellow safety J.R. Pace recovered that ball giving Rosen another chance at scoring before um, the night was out starting the Falcons out at midfield and the Falcons took advantage of that favorable field position Thanks to an 18-yard run by Deontay Foreman and a 16-yard throw from Rosen to none. Rosen's next completion came a few plays later when throwing off his back foot, and he hit a nice floater to Jawan Green for a 7-yard touchdown, cutting the Browns' lead to 13-10 to with 11 and a half minutes left in the game. Unfortunately, the next score came from the Browns several minutes later with Liletta getting the Browns' offense inside the 10 with two minutes to go. 
in the game and hitting wide receiver Davion Davis on the 10 yard touchdown throw. And that score would be the final one of the game. And Rosen kind of cooled off on the subsequent two drives, only completing two of six of his final six passes in that game after that initial score to uh, Jawan Green. And so that's a wrap on the Falcons preseason. You lose this game 19 to 10. And it's now the third time in four summers that the Falcons have gone winless in the preseason. And they've had a one in 15 record in those preseason games over those last four summers. But obviously, you know, Arthur Smith has a prime opportunity to make that record look fairly irrelevant in two weeks when the Falcons face off in their season opener against the Philadelphia Eagles. And um, we will touch upon that a little bit later in today's episode, but coming up next on today's lockdown Falcons, we're going to give out some grades. We're going to talk about some of the standouts in this game, including Josh Rosen coming up on today's lockdown Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys want to continue to plug the lockdown fantasy football podcast where you guys are now, hopefully, um, you know, done with you. most of you are done with your drafts, but you want to check out Vinny Iyer's daily takes on the lockdown fantasy football podcast so that you can know, you know, those waiver claims, all these various things, uh, that you can do to help you win your league and get that edge this upcoming season. Of course, you want to subscribe to the lockdown fantasy football podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. North one is Better banking for small business owners, serving small business owners is all they do. North One allows you to manage your money from anywhere, whether you're at home or on the go. Everything you need to manage your business finances is at your fingertips. Never step foot in a bank branch again. In addition to the features you'd expect, like mobile check deposit, cash withdrawals, the ability to send and receive ACH and wire payments, North One is an FDIC insurance account that can save you both time and money. North One integrates with the accounting software you already use, saving you hours of manual bookkeeping with North One's envelope feature. You can automatically budget and save for things like rent, payroll, taxes, and more. With North Run, you'll never pay overdraft or NSF fees again, saving you hundreds of dollars per month. To get started, visit apply.northone.com slash locked. That's apply.northone.com slash locked. North One Business Banking Made for America. So it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag and you will receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo, which means if you make a bet on Thursday, September 9th in the season, an opener between the Bucks and Cowboys, and even if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So when giving out grades for the Falcons, various units, we look at the passing offense first and I give it a C. 
You know, I think Franks looked a little bit more efficient throwing the ball. He completed five of eight passes. Rosen started out strong, finished the game nine of 18. We got to see a little bit of the starters with Pitts getting two snaps. Hurst, I think, got four. Gage and Zaccheaus got a couple of snaps as well. Um, so I think that probably contributed a little bit to the Franks getting off to a slightly better start than he is in previous weeks. And, you know, we did get to see a couple of explosive pass plays from each starter, a pair each for Franks and Rosen, although Rosen looked a little bit better, looked a little bit more in rhythm. You know, the pass protection still needs work, but they weren't necessarily running for their lives every time they dropped back, although three of the four sacks that the Falcons did give up in this game did come on third or fourth down plays. So I I feel like a C, while not great, is certainly the best grade I've given out so far this preseason. So small progress here. And in part, you know, it's it's that Rosen bump that they got. But we'll we'll talk a little bit more about Josh Rosen and, and Felipe Franks and that quarterback battle uh, at the end of today's episode. But let's move on to the run offense. And I give it a C plus. You know, I don't think the run game was nearly as sharp as it was last week against Miami. They had a couple of decent runs. You know, Foreman had a nice run. Allison had a couple of decent runs. Um, you know, the blocking was inconsistent questionable at times Huntley did get some early run with the starting offensive line when they were out there for that opening series to get a four yard gain on the second and 12. And while I try not to spend really any energy worrying about vanilla play calling in the preseason, you know, let's hope the Falcons tendency to run on second and longs in the preseason was just them being extra vanilla and not a sign of things to come in the regular season. Although when I did go back and look at the box score, it was fascinating to see that when Franks was in the game, they, ran it quite a bit on second and long when Rosen was in the game, they threw it a lot, which, you know, makes it seem like they were a little bit more comfortable with Rosen being in a straight drop back passing game, which is something that, you know, we could wind up reading into uh, later on today's episode. But, you know, you just look at sort of second and seven or longer when they had to convert in the first half with Franks in the game, they ran it four times and only threw it twice in the second half. They threw it seven times and they had a botch exchange on the second along as well, which I don't know if that was supposed to be a run player or a pass play seemed like it was probably a run play, but again, I don't know. Um, so that's something that is worth considering, you know, maybe you can argue game situation, but it wasn't like as if the Falcons were down big when Rosen was in the game and, and needed to throw to get back in the game. It's preseason, you know, so you would you would imagine there would be prime opportunities to evaluate the quarterback. But then again, maybe they just deemed it. Look, giving Rosen those reps to throw the fall. What you know, given that we have not really seen him gives him more opportunities to be evaluated. So, uh, you know, again, hard to sort of figure out exactly what was going through their head, but it it seemed like Rosen, you know, for the most part did a a pretty decent job in those situations, which we know Franks has not necessarily uh, done well in those obvious passing situations uh, throughout the summer. So again, I think there's something you could read into it, but let's move on to the defensive side of the ball. You know, with the pass defense, I give it a C minus. It seemed like to me, the Falcons were a lot more conservative in their defensive game plan. They seemed to blitz a lot less uh, in, in Sunday night's action in comparison to the two previous preseason games. There was a lot of uh, uh, plays where they were only rushing three guys playing a lot more zone. And it seemed like the Browns, at least their starters in, in the first you know quarter or two, uh, really had no problems really picking apart this defense through the air. You know, outside of those two interceptions thrown by Kyle Lilletta off of Aaron throws, 
you know, there wasn't a whole lot of the highlights that really stood out for me with the pass defense. There was a couple of pressures. Ogun Deji had a really nice rep uh, where he got a hit on a quarterback. Jacob Tuity Mariner was able to get some pressure at times. Uh, Marlon Davidson flashed on, on a couple of pressure plays. They did bat down a, a bunch of passes. So that's something when you're not getting a, a ton of pressure. At least you can get your hands up and, and disrupt the throw that way. Um, but you know, for the most part, the Browns really had no problem moving the ball up and down the field. And a lot of it came via the air Mayfield only threw 10 passes in this game, if I'm not mistaken. And five of them went for 20 plus yards, uh, completions in that regard. So, you know, I think the Falcons defense does deserve a little bit of credit because they did get several red zone start stops. The, the Browns were one of six in the red zone, uh, in this preseason game. Um, but you know, C minus is about as, as good as I can go uh, to give them some of that credit, um, just largely due to the fact that Mayfield and company were able to really move the ball pretty easily in those first two series. And even when Loletta came in the game, um, or I mean, I'm sorry, Case Keenum came in the game, you know, they didn't really slow down in any meaningful way over those next couple of possessions. The run defense was probably the, the strongest part of, of the team, uh, at least on offense and defense, and certainly was much improved from the previous two weeks where they were just getting gashed up up the middle uh, throughout the preseason. So I, I gave the run defense a B-. minus. Um, there were some missed tackles that led to some big games for the Browns, but for the most part, I thought the defensive line controlled the line of scrimmage, wasn't getting gashed like they were the last two weeks. Michael Walker had several stops early in this game. He did start at the will linebacker spot opposite Foyer Olakun with Deion Jones, along with Grady Jarrett getting to sit this game. Eric Harris, I believe, was the only other starter that did not play in this game, as far as I can tell, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so to me, the main knock on the run defense was, you know, the tackling could have been a little bit better. They could have been a little bit more disruptive, getting more tackles for loss and, and whatnot. But, you know, B minus will take it at this point in time. Um, special teams, I give them a B. Uh, you know, I thought Young Wei Koo looked sharp on his limited opportunities as a kicker, his one field goal try. I thought Cam Nizalek and Don Maggio did good work as punters. They kind of alternated in this game. Nizalek had the, probably the best punt of the night with the 57 yarder, uh, where Richie Grant sort of, you know, made a nice open field tackle on that one, working as that personal protector. We didn't get a chance to see Don Maggio kicking off, although Nizalek and Koo did alternate there. Ku's lone kickoff uh, got returned 37 yards because he couldn't really drive it into the end zone. Nizalek's first kickoff went for a touchback. His second went into the end zone but was returned. And one of the things we talked about heading into training camp was how Sterling Hoffrechter, the incumbent punter's kickoff duties, probably made him pretty safe in the punt competition because of Ku's inefficiency as a kickoff returner. And remember, we're talking about regular kickoffs, not onside kicks uh, when it comes to young way coup. Um, but you know, coup was not particularly effective kickoff return kickoff. I'm sorry, specialist last year. And we've seen Cam Nizelik for the most part, handle those kickoff duties throughout the preseason in the summer. And I believe that's probably going to give him the edge in the punting competition over Don Maggio. You know, again, I don't think coup is an awful kickoff specialist, but his resume is relatively weak there. So if it comes down to a tie when it comes to the punting ability and nothing I've seen so far this preseason makes me believe that there's a significant gap for or against Nizelik in the, in the Maggio competition for that punter spot. 
I would assume that the kickoff ability that Cam brings to the table uh, would be the tiebreaker. And that's one of the reasons why I expect Nizalek to be the punter, but we'll see. Um, Avery Williams in the return game had a nice 29 yard kickoff return in the first half that gave him a little bit of an edge over Chris Rowland. Uh, and I, I feel like Williams has consistently been slightly better as a return specialist, particularly on kickoff returns than Rowland has this summer. We did not see Cordero Patterson. He was one of the starters that did not play in this game. Um, so, you know, special teams again, continues to be the, the one bright spot of this team in the preseason, uh, compared to the offense and defense, but we'll get into some of these, uh, Roster battles, including, you know, the punter battle was what was one of those positions that was wide open. We'll talk about some of the other ones that heading into this game, we felt like were wide open, including the backup quarterback competition and really talk about whether or not Josh Rosen's solid performance tonight was enough to earn him the backup quarterback spot. Or will the Falcons still be looking uh, in that regard? And we'll get into that coming up on today's Locked on Falcons. But before we get there, guys. You know, does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, or you've gotten your neighbor's best friend's login for that good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract, so get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required content varies by package. Did you know that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market and has several delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me or you prefer mint brownie cookies and cream, double chocolate, salted caramel, cherry barcia, coconut, raspberry, orange, or strawberry. There's something for everyone, and there's also the occasional limited-time flavor, too. You can try them all with a mixed box, and you'll want to because Built Bars taste just like a candy bar but have none of the guilt. Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. My favorite, the coconut almond, tastes just like an almond joy, but it's not just about Built Bar's great taste. They're healthy too, low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. Again, you get that healthy snack that tastes just like a candy bar with none of the guilt because of how healthy they are. You can take advantage of this by heading over to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So before we get into the quarterback battle, I do like to say that I don't necessarily have any major revisions to the 53 man roster projection that I put out on Friday's podcast. You know, those last handful of guys making the team, I felt like were kind of toss ups going into this game. And we, I don't feel like at least I personally did not get a whole lot of clarity on some of those battles uh, coming out of this game. You know, there were some top positions like that fourth tight end spot between Parker Hesse and John rain. Don't feel like it went in either guy's direction. Rain did start the game at fullback with Keith Smith not playing. You know, I don't know if that helps him or, or, or whatever. We should read it into anything into that. You know, you look at the wide receiver five battle between Christian Blake and Frank Darby. Did anybody stand out in this game? Not, not to my eyes. You had those last two spots on the defense I had going for 
defensive backs, Chris Williamson and TJ Green. But, you know, you could throw a linebacker in there at Dorian Etheridge. You could throw uh, a defensive tackle like Chris Slayton in there. You know, it's notable that Etheridge did get a lot of work on special teams this summer. So if you are going to make this team and contribute to this team in, in his situation, you are going to play a lot of special teams. So is that something worthy of reading into? I don't know. Um, you know, Green continue to work as a cornerback. And again, I don't know if that helps or hurts his chances when he, you know, came to the team as a safety. Williamson has not really impressed me uh, at all this preseason in terms of his coverage ability, but he continues to be fairly high on the depth chart. And so obviously the coaches are liking him uh, a lot more uh, than or liking what they're seeing from him than what I'm seeing from him. Um, and so, you know, the, the, those represent like four out of the eight uh, open spots that we discussed on Friday's episode being up for grabs. You know, the others, other four spots included the punter position, which we already talked about the last and ninth offensive lineman, which probably goes to Willie Beavers, which we talked about on Friday. Um, and then you have the fourth running back position, which again, I think probably goes to Caleb Humley. And that leaves the last spot being that QB two spot, you know, the backup quarterback spot uh, as that last spot on the roster. And I got to say Rosen impressed me uh, in this game, especially considering how limited amount of practice he got all week. Um, but I imagine they'll coming from that Shanahan system in San Francisco certainly benefit him uh, in terms of hitting the ground running, having spent, you know, the better part of the last, you know, seven, eight months in that system. He looked more, sh- uh, he looked sharper. He looked more decisive, making reads and decisions and throws from the pocket. You know, we talked about going into this game, how Franks would need to show, you know, start to put things together and show progress. I do think we did see Franks's best game as a passer in this game, but you still saw some of the processing issues, some of the slowness in that regard uh, in this game. There was a couple plays like that. Um, you know, you look at the first snap where he hit pits. He was late on that throw. There was a couple of sacks that Franks took where it, it did look like he wasn't seeing things as quickly as he needed to do and get rid of the ball quickly. You didn't really see that problem with Rosen. He did miss some throws. He did take a couple of sacks. Uh, he did have some issues dealing with pressure. But, you know, it seemed like a lot of his misses were more miscommunications, which is understandable given, you know, that he hasn't worked that much with these wide receivers. And it's one of those things where, you know, I'll happily eat that plate of crow given my expectations for Josh Rosen were really low and that he would probably struggle uh, for, you know, a handful of series that we would see uh, late in this game. But he more than held his own for, you know, the vast majority of that second half. Um, And so. You know, does this game prompt me to completely revise my stamp stance that the Falcons, you know, are uh, not better served looking off at a veteran at the waiver wire on Tuesday and or thinking that, you know, Josh Rosen uh, won't be penciled in as the number two quarterback behind Matt Ryan, either not only as the short term answer at that spot or the long term answer at that spot. Look, I'm not revising anything. I, I thought, you know, I'm stubborn. You know, I still look at Josh Rosen as a placeholder for the most part, and I would still like to see a lot more from him before I seriously entertain, you know, serious notions of, you know, this idea of him being this sort of reclamation project. But, you know, he said all the right things after the game, talked about how, you know, he's a better human being. Uh, was some of the things that he he talked about and and seemingly better prepared today to take advantage of the opportunities that he has um, than he was earlier in his career. So, you know, if if you're on team Josh Rosen, then you you best be hoping that, you know, this is his, you know, 2007 Roddy White moment, right? Where Roddy White kind of, you know, you know, you guys probably know the story where Roddy White basically 
wasn't taking football that seriously. Um, and, you know, despite all the horrible things that happened with the Falcons in that 07 season, you know, that led to a, a real commitment for Roddy White and, and turned in a very productive career and turned around his career. So um, obviously the circumstances are very different for Josh Rosen here in Atlanta. But if you're hoping that, you know, he's going to be able to take advantage of this opportunity here in Atlanta that he hasn't in the previous points just simply due to him being a lot more mature now. So, um, you know, if, if, if that's going to be the case, you know, tonight was a, a first good, you know, indicator, a first good impression that, you know, at least that pathway is possible. Uh, and sort of, you know, my initial thoughts on outright dismissing the idea, like, you know, look, the, you know, him being on his 15, 15, fifth team in three years, was not a particularly promising sign, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, you know, I'm still not buying the notion that Atlanta is somehow this ideal scenario for him that places like Tampa Bay and San Francisco weren't. But again, if, if he's more mature now, if he's matured a lot more in the last two weeks, I guess you could say <laughs> since, since the 49ers cut him, um, you know, good for him. Two years, I guess is, is more a fair statement in, in Josh Rosen's regard. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, so, as I've said several times this summer, I don't particularly care who the Falcons' backup quarterback position is. You know, if they, the Falcons do decide to keep him as their QB2, you know, I'm not going to complain about it. Um, you know, if it's Josh Rosen, awesome. If it's not Josh Rosen, awesome. It's, I don't have a particular horse in the race, as I've said uh, before on the podcast. So, I think right now the conversation over the next few days is going to be, did Josh Rosen show enough in this game that come Tuesday when, you know, final cuts are made and teams are able to put waiver claims on. And as we've discussed previously on the podcast, given where the Falcons finished last year, they will have one of the highest waiver claims of any team in the league and probably be the only team out there uh, really looking at quarterbacks. So if they want to get a quarterback, they should be able to get the guy, whoever they wind up choosing is the point there. And so do, do the Falcons do that? Do they pass on that and, and keep Rosen as their QB two, or do they try to get that veteran guy and then just sort of, you know, keep Rosen as their QB three, which is likely going to be on the practice squad. I know some people have brought up the idea of keeping three quarterbacks on the roster. I, I you know, I think that's a waste personally, but you know, who cares what I think? <laughs> I mean, look, uh, you know, I just, I don't get it, but that's fine. So, you know, for me right now, I, I would be surprised if the Falcons did keep Rosen as their QB two and then kept Franks as their QB three. Um, but, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they keep Rosen as a QB two and try to bring in a new player to be the QB three. You know, I don't think Franks is going to stick around. I would be surprised at that point, but you know, it, it, it wouldn't be a huge surprise. Let's say that. I would be surprised, but, you know, I was surprised on how well Rosen played. So uh, maybe I need to, you know, change my expectations in that regard and be a little bit more open-minded. So, um, you know, the final thoughts, we'll talk about the starters barely playing um, at this point in time. Beggars can't be choosers. Uh, so, you know, Kyle Pitts getting two snaps was two more snaps than <laughs> we, we could have gotten. So I will appreciate the two snaps that we got. Uh, so I, again, I could take, I got to take what I can get at this point in time. So my stance on playing guys in the preseason is well documented. I won't rehash it tonight, but I do think it does put a little bit more pressure on this coaching staff that they got to come out of the gates firing in week one. And I think Philadelphia is a very winnable game coming up in two weeks. And while I don't want to make it seem like the Eagles are some sort of pushover, cause I kind of think 
these two teams are kind of evenly matched. Uh, although the Falcons, I think are slightly better. Um, but you know, the Eagles are a team with a young quarterback, first time head coach as well. Um, they have a defense held by a defensive coordinator. Arthur Smith knows well from his early days in Tennessee. Uh, now maybe that's a pro or con for the Falcons. Maybe it's a pro for con for the Eagles because the defensive coordinator is familiar with Arthur Smith, uh, and his tendencies, although he wasn't calling plays back then, but you know, we've talked all summer long about the pressure that is on this coaching staff to basically, for lack of a better term, gloss over the holes and issues that are currently facing this team. Cause we know we can't necessarily talk about this year's team in the same way that we've talked about previous year's teams talking about how talented a roster they are. Um, you know, that's not the case this year. And so if this team is going to play at a high level this year, a lot of it's going to be because Arthur Smith and Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator can sort of make the sum greater than its individual parts. Um, and so while I'm not necessarily expecting this team to come out fully formed and playoff form, you know, week one against the Eagles, it is one of those things where I do think choosing not to play the starters, you know, means that you're only increasing the expectations. Now I know for, you know, others, you know, the fact that the starters didn't play only lowers the expectations for them going into the season. But for me, you know, I, I feel like if you deemed it was necessary not to play these starters, and that's what something that Arthur Smith talked about post game where he was like, you know, obviously our goal was to play the starters as minimal as possible. And basically, you know, he came out after the game and said, we didn't want Kyle Pitts's first snap to, to be against the Eagles in week one. So they basically got him two snaps and, and gave him a, a quick hook uh, in, in this game. And, you know, Mike Davis played one snap and, and several other guys just played literal one or two snaps in this game. So for me, at least that puts the expectations that puts the pressure from my perspective, that this offense is going to be ready to go come week one, that there's not going to be this sort of feeling out period that you can often have with the first year coach with a new offense or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I don't know if it's fair to put those expectations on this first year coach in a relatively new offense with, you know, a lot of personnel changes uh, that we've, you know, a lot more personnel changes this offseason than we've experienced in several other past years. But I, I feel like, you know, call, call me biased on this, but I, f I feel like they've their actions have put that pressure on them. So while I think the defense is kind of a work in progress, I think offensively they kind of need to come out and look sharp against Philadelphia. Um, and if they do, that will certainly cause me to revise my stance on the importance and the value of preseason. If they drop a 40 burger on the Eagles, you know, I will happily eat that 40 burger with a side of crow in that regard. So we'll see what happens. And obviously we'll continue to talk about uh, what's to expect from this Falcons team leading up to that Eagles game. Uh, over the next two weeks here on Locked on Falcons podcast, you know, if you're curious, currently the Falcons are three and a half point favorites against the Eagles at home. Um, and, you know, whether you choose to bet on that game or you choose to bet on other things in sports between now and that week one matchup between the Falcons and Eagles, you know, the best place to get those tips and, you know, those daily picks, those blowout specials. And of course, the lock of the day is, of course, from our guy, Lee Sterling, a handicapping expert over at Paramount Sports. And you can check out Lee every day on the Locked On Bets podcast, joined by host 
your boy Q. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So there you guys have it, guys. We'll be back later this week to talk more about, you know, what to expect from this Falcons team. Get some guest thoughts on the pod, you know, about preseason and whatnot. Uh, So check that out. Appreciate it. Till then.